This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We have allowed ourselves to become so disconnected and ignorant about something that is as intimate as the food that we eat. Be prepared to grow your own for victory. I'm said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink foamed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadow lark. So God made a farmer. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornbro, and glad you're joining me today. I think we've got a great one for you. You're going to be joined by a guest, Alyssa Olson. She's going to come on and talk to us a little bit about her homestead and getting into homesteading and and quite a bit about chickens. And we ain't had a chicken chat on here in a while, so uh, Alyssa is going to give us some tips on getting started with a new flock and introducing that new flock to an existing flock and things like that. So, so we'll get to hear her here in a few minutes. But, you know, I haven't for a while really addressed what it is we're doing here with this podcast and website and all that we do, you know, and if you're a new listener, maybe you're thinking, what's this all about? What's this podcast really about? And, uh, you know, we have like a, a mission of, uh, of three things, really. We want to inspire, equip, and motivate. We want to inspire you to gain a passion for homesteading and, um, you know, and equip you with the information you need to start homesteading and kind of add more spokes to that homesteading wagon wheel. And uh, also, we want to motivate you to take action on everything you hope to accomplish in your homestead. So we have a, you know... We have pretty big ambitions. We just want to change the world, that's all. <laughs> and we really want to help you get started down that homesteading path. I know it certainly changed my life and made my life a whole lot better, and I know it can do the same for you. So before we jump into our interview with Alyssa, let's uh, let's talk about a few homestead updates here on my homestead. Uh, seems like I'm turning my uh, greenhouse into an animal hospital these days. <laughs> At first, I had the rabbit with the... Uh, with the uh, ear mite issue and i kind of separated him in the greenhouse there for a while and then i had a quail somehow get hurt and got a damaged toe and it was limping around and like when i say damaged i mean like almost tore it off on something i'm not real sure what happened there but uh that happened a few days ago and and got him fixed up and in the greenhouse kind of separated him because i didn't want the other quail picking at him or anything and uh he's doing better uh i got him in there and uh he seems like he's doing all right so i'm about ready to put him back in his cage but i had him in the greenhouse for a few days just to kind of keep him separated but yeah just turning that greenhouse into a regular old animal hospital <laughs> lately every time i walk in there i got animals hopping around me now but uh yeah that's they're doing all right um man spring's coming quick and there's a lot of cleanup to do around here that's kind of the the part i'm not looking forward to in the spring weather is all the cleanup it's just every winter you always look around, you're thinking, boy, look at all the dead stuff that I got to pull up, cut up, compost, you know, kind of get things organized again and get ready for the, uh, the nicer weather. Also, I've been uh, working real hard lately on content that I'm going to be adding to the membership forum. So if anybody's in there or if you're interested in joining that, there's going to be a lot of new uh, content going up in there real soon. So I've been really working hard on that. So got a lot of stuff going on. I've been real, real busy uh, with the day job and with the stuff going around here. And in springtime, things just always pick up and get a lot busier. So with that, let's just jump right into our main topic today. Uh, we're going to have some homesteading and chicken chat with uh, with guest Alyssa Olson. Alyssa is a homesteader and blogger in Minnesota on 10 acres where she's working to expand her homestead and acquire some uh, new homesteading skills. And we're going to discuss all kinds of stuff. We're going to talk about Alyssa's journey into homesteading, tapping birch and maple trees, her reasons for starting a blog, getting started with baby chicks, introducing young chickens to an existing flock and her future plans on the homestead. So let's just jump right into that interview with Alyssa. Well, Alyssa, welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. Uh, you you kind of caught my eye here recently uh, with just all the uh, the blogging you've been doing, and you, you had a great blog post that um, that I, I read and I really liked. Uh, and it was about uh, starting a backyard chicken flock and just all the 
the how-to on that and thought it was really good. And you've been just popping out with all kinds of good articles here lately on chickens and fermenting and all kinds of stuff. So I wanted to have you on the uh, on the uh, podcast to uh, maybe discuss some of that. But before we get into all that, I'd like to just hear how you got into homesteading and a little bit about you. Well, I kind of stumbled into homesteading. My husband and I purchased a house uh, in 2010. And we were looking for land, and it was, you know, the pit of the market. And so we found a house. It was a super old farmhouse, had a barn and everything. And um, we got it for a decent price on 10 acres, and we, you know, moved in. And then I, we had a chicken coop, so I filled it with chickens and ducks <laughs> and kind of enjoyed that. And then as um, we grew up and our, we started having a family, I wanted to plant food for our, for our family, for our kids, providing, you know, healthier, more organic food um, on our own and learning how to do that. And I've just kind of, you know, walked through learning everything and it just intrigues me. And my dad's family is actually, they're dairy farmers in Minnesota. So mm-hmm. I, it's just interested me, like how long they've lived living, you know, like farmers live. And um, my dad actually started living off the land a few years ago and um we've kind of been going on this adventure together different types he's more off-grid and i'm more you know trying to provide our own food and and stuff but we'd still have a lot of similarities so sure sure kind of how i got into home you're you're in minnesota as well right (laughs) yep yeah okay yeah well so you jumped into it pretty young and and you're you're consistently adding things it sounds like what, what kind of things are you doing on your homestead um, we started with chickens and ducks and mm-hmm. then um, gardens, like vegetable gardens. We do a lot of tomatoes and cucumbers and zucchini. Um, I've been trying to my hand at um, like watermelon and peppers and lettuce. And I actually got a greenhouse for Christmas this year. So I'm excited to set up a new greenhouse and see what I can grow. Yeah. And I've been really intrigued by how you do your um, winter gardens to see if I could have green lettuce and stuff year round. Yeah, but your winter's then, a whole lot more wintry than my winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and then preserving food, jams, jellies, and then I do I've been doing a lot of fermentation um to try to get probiotics into my diet naturally as well as preserving um foods and then this year last year I tapped birch trees for syrup mm-hmm. and then yeah. over the summer I scavenged my yard for maple trees and we actually found that we do have maple trees so um this week we're going to start maple tree tapping okay okay now your uh, your uh, blog is called the sheep shed do you have sheep <laughs> oh yeah we have yeah, i forget about them they're just like part i lump them in with the chickens and ducks sometimes um yeah we have sheep we have baby doll south down sheep that we got this past fall and we plan on shearing them and using their wool for, um, I plan to do extract lanolin from the wool mm-hmm. in the washing process, which a lot of people don't do. Um, and then using the wool, I'll, uh, I plan on carding it and making roving and possibly spinning it myself and dyeing it naturally with s- stuff from the garden. Yeah. So. Wow. You just got all kinds of things going on. <laughs> yeah. And, and you got a house full of kids, too, don't you? How many kids you have? Uh, I have two young two, young boys. Two, yeah, two I, I heard them when you was walking out to your car to do the podcast. I was like, wow, yeah, they're yeah. in there making noise in there. I thought she's got her, got her hands full there, and you're doing all this other stuff, too. And I always try to tell people, you know, you can find the time to do this if you want to do it bad enough, you know. And, and a lot of people think that they, they can't do it because they have a family or they have a, you know, a job that requires a lot of hours. But if you want it bad enough, you find a way, don't you? Yeah, and I actually, I enjoy it. kind of forces me to get outside. I love being outside, but sometimes, especially like in the wintertime or when we get, you know, five feet of snow in the winter, it's easy to just stay inside. But you have to make an excuse to do your animals or you have to make an excuse to go, you know, tap the maple trees. And you have to be outside even sometimes if you don't want to, but that fresh air is so good. And then if the kids come out with me and my husband's been snowblowing paths so they can ride their bikes and stuff mm-hmm. and so i just i like being outside and being you know away from just indoors all the time sure sure now um just to back up a little bit you said you were tapping trees you said you tapped birch trees is that what you said yep last year we tapped birch trees and we 
I think we tapped too late. We didn't get much to make syrup, but we yeah. drank the, you can drink the birch sap, the mm-hmm. birch water, um, plain, and it still has health benefits. How does that, uh, how does that compare to, to, to maple syrup and tapping maple trees? Birch syrup is like a little, it's not something that you probably put on your pancake. Oh, yeah. Um, it's not, yeah, but it's, it's got like a little spicier flavor. You could use it, um, in your, you know, to make chicken or to make, to okay. cook with. Yeah. I've actually made like rhubarb syrup and lilac syrup as well for a way of preserving. And then I use those syrups too, to, um, flavor my kombucha with. Yeah. Okay. So then it adds flavor, but then if there's a lot of health benefits to all that kind of stuff, lilacs, rhubarb, birch, there's health benefits to everything. And so if you can just add it in your diet in any way, it's just, it's got to be super beneficial for you. Sure. Well, sounds great. Yeah, I've never had that. I, I mean, I've heard of people tapping them. I just wondered how it compared to, to maple. But, yeah, I didn't realize it was, so it's less sweet but more of a uh, spicy flavor, huh? Yeah, and you have to have twice as much birch syrup to make, birch sap to make birch syrup. Oh, really? So the ratio for maple, um, I believe, is eight, uh, 40. You still need 40. Uh, this is where I'm probably going to mess it up because I usually I just know the rate like it's forty to one. So I think you okay. need forty you gallons boil it, boil it to down make that much. one. Oh, okay. Yeah, one gallon of syrup and then birch is eighty to one. Wow, that's a lot of boiling down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I can so see why you would just drink the the sap because that would be a lot. Yeah. yeah, you just have to drink it within within a couple of days and keep it in the fridge. But it was good, and you yeah. can yeah, it was good. Okay. All right. Well, that was the, I didn't even know you were doing that, but that's, that's interesting. You'll have to write some posts about that, I guess, if you haven't already. I didn't know. Yeah, this, we're but. gonna, we're gonna get in there. Well, I'll start writing posts, um, probably this week about the maple syrup and then right after maple's done, then birch starts up. Okay. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Why, why did you start the blog? Because I do a lot of, a lot of, I think, cool things. I think it's really mm-hmm. interesting and I post on social media about it and I've had, people my age and friends like oh my gosh you can do that i did not know that you could i didn't even know you could grow lettuce like that or i didn't know that you could you know do this stuff and it's it just amazes me how much how disconnected like how you always talk about how disconnected we are from our food and it it just so i just wanted to share what i what i do how to do it um yeah. kind of share experiences to hopefully inspire other people um espe- especially younger people to to just even if you don't do it all, just do some of it. Yeah, that's great. That's you know, and that's kind of why I started doing it too, back and starting a podcast years ago and stuff. It was just you know, there's so many people that just they can do so much, even wherever they're at. I mean, you know where I'm at. I mean, I'm in a town, you know, doing it in a small backyard. You're out in the country, of course, with more acreage and doing some things. But you know, it's amazing um, how disconnected we really are from you know, the things that we could still be doing no matter where we're at. And uh, people just don't know how to do it. And if, and they've just, they just lost it. You know, I mean, we've just lost a lot of those, uh, those skills and those desires even in a lot of ways, but it, there's a lot of it coming back. A lot of people are, are waking up to it and saying, you know what, it's, it's probably a better, healthier way to live. It's, um, you know, it's obviously it's, it's kind of intriguing and, and, and interesting to people, you know, they're wanting to, to see what they can do or how hard it is. And it's, it's waking a lot of people up, I think. So blog Blogs like yours and, and things like what we're doing are, are really helping people uh, get their eyes opened up to it. Yeah, I completely agree. And and I think people are starting to realize, I think it's intimidating, but I think that people are starting to realize that it doesn't have to be hard. It's not that hard to, right. you know, to just water some plants and then all of a sudden you have fruit growing off of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I know there's a lot of people that, you know, they talk about getting chickens and maybe they're a little intimidating and a little intimidated by getting chickens and they're just wondering, okay, what are kind of the first steps I would have to take to start a backyard chicken flock? And I ran across your article, you know, the basics of starting a backyard chicken flock. And you had some other great articles that went along with it. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Can we just kind of go into that a little bit and talk about, I haven't had anybody on in a long time talking about just raising chickens. I guess it's just so, it's, it's so out there. I mean, people are just doing it everywhere that I think we forget to talk about it, you know, but there's a lot of people that aren't doing it that really don't know where to start. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. And I think too, that there's a lot of, um, I don't necessarily try to make things pretty because I, mm-hmm. I like to make things functional. So I think there's a lot of, 
information out there and it's ex- it sounds expensive because you have to have all this expensive stuff and i just mm-hmm. i like to make it simple um and yep. easy because after all they are livestock i mean i love my chickens more than probably the average chicken per- farmer but I, they're just they're livestock so i i don't do anything fancy i put my chickens um, I usually get chicks from, there's a local place here in Minnesota, but you can order them online or search around for farms or people who hatch chicks on their own that just, mm-hmm. you know, to have too many already. And I like to get a Rubbermaid container, put some shavings in there, food, water. Um, and then with any animals, I like to add apple cider vinegar. It's just really mm-hmm. beneficial um, for their guts, for their health, um, and it can prevent a lot of illnesses and actually parasites as well so i do that and then put the just a cut a piece of chicken wire and put it over top just so that the heat lamp can rest on it i don't really have an area in my house where i can hang a heat lamp yeah let's back up Um, how how much of that apple cider vinegar tea do you put in their water um they say like a teaspoon or tablespoon Mm -hmm. per gallon i usually do a little bit more especially with the with chicks or with sick animals um like my I've had some sick animals or sick chickens this year, and I don't know. I just <laughs> I just pour it over their water, right. and it gets a little, you know, a few gloves in there, and then I, I'm done. It's it's not much, but um, right. Yeah, I put a, I put a like splash a in like rabbit water. Yeah, I put like a splash in rabbit water bottles too, and just a just a little bit. I don't measure it or anything. It's probably like a tablespoon in each bottle, you know, and that's a lot less than a gallon, so it's yeah. a lot more of a ratio than that. But they seem to they don't, it doesn't yeah. seem to bother them, and I think it keeps them healthy. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. So I'll go ahead. Yeah, the, you, now the lamp, you said you, you put some chicken wire over the top, and you, what, you set the lamp on that? Is that what you do? Yeah, and then a lot of heat lamps come with a guard. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just going to say that it, the guard's there for a reason to keep you safe and the animals safe. But I find that if I take the guard off the first um, few weeks of the of the chick, chick's life, it keeps the, the brooder a little bit warmer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't keep a thermometer or anything in there. You can just kind of tell how they're acting. And when the guards on the lamp, they huddle up a lot more. And so you can tell that they're kind of cold. And when they're cold, they, they just don't thrive as well. So I take the guard off and use a red light and put it on the chicks for a few weeks and, you know, check their butts every single day. My, my two year old usually helps me do that. We squat down and <laughs> pick all the chicks up and check their butts for pacey butt because mm-hmm. the pacey butt can get them really sick. Yeah. And if they have a little poop on their butt, you just, you know, rinse it off in warm water and dry them off if if, if you need to and just put them back in the brooder. And then, just, you know, just keep fresh food and water in there. Keep them hot. After a couple of weeks, I put the guard back on the lamp. And I probably leave it like that the rest of the time. Um, sometimes you can switch to a white light because they're a little bit cooler than the red light. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it just you you just I just watch my chickens and see how they're acting. If they're acting um, a little bit, you know, if they're act, staying away from the light a lot, then you know it's a little hot in there. If they're going in the light all the time and getting out of the light, at, you know, mixing it up, then then you know that they're they're doing all right. How, how many do you keep in a one of them uh, tubs that size? Mm, I've put probably like seven chicks in there at once, yeah. and then I have multiple tubs. So I always like to have at least two because if you do have a sick chicken or a sick chick, you want to separate it out just in yeah. case it's contagious. And then also, if it's even if it's not contagious, chickens are kind of mean in the way that they sense a weak bird and yeah, they will just attack them. it. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, you separate it out, and then um, once they start getting a little bit bigger and start getting more feathers, um, then you'll want to separate them out. I think last year. I had, at the end of the year, I had two brooders with probably three chicks in each one, and it was pretty full before I put them in the coop. Mm. So I always start with one and then add them in as I need to. Um, By the time you're adding them in and the chicks are getting big, then you probably don't need a light anymore. Um, It's usually about like eight weeks that they start really growing. Yeah. I find, and then at that time, too, I usually on the breed, put, really. um, yeah, I, being in Minnesota, I like to get bigger breeds mm-hmm. just because the, I've had smaller breeds and they just don't, they don't do well in the wintertime here. I don't yeah. heat my coop. And so. these are, these are laying uh, chickens. These aren't meat chickens, right? 
Right, yeah. No, meat chickens at eight weeks, you'll have a full Yeah, I was going to say, because at eight weeks with the corners crossed, you're pretty close to processing. <laughs> yeah, no, at eight weeks, I would say the birds, there's you can still fit them in your palm. They're still pretty small. Yeah. Okay. They, the chickens don't really get full size till even close to a year, I want to say. They're, they take a little while. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so you know, how you now you're just watching them when they have all their feathers and all the, the down is covered up, and that's when you're pretty much going to move them outside then? Well, yeah, it depends on the weather here. I um, mm-hmm. So with the chicks, you know, around around 10 weeks, I'll start putting the brooders, depending on how warm it is, sometimes eat a little earlier, but I'll put the brooders outside, leave the chickens in the brooders and put them outside in a, in a spot I know is sunny. Yeah. Um, during the day, and then I'll bring them in at night and put the lamp back on them and kind of do that. It kind of gets them used to the fresh yeah. air and the wind. It's almost like um, hardening and, off transplants out in your garden. you yeah. got you to get them ready for it, right? <laughs> yep, and then I work up to around 10 weeks. I'll let them free range, um, usually by themselves, away from the big chickens. Um, let them free range so they kind of learn how to, you know, go for bugs, and then they kind of find sh- find shelter in you know, my plants and stuff and mm-hmm. they figure it out. And I, I watch them cause we do have hawks and stuff. So, yeah. um, but I'll, I'll let them do that as long as I'm out in the garden and then again, bring them in and put them under the light if they still need it. And then probably 11 weeks, I'll start free ranging them with the big birds. Not necessarily, they don't usually intermingle as much. The big birds might come check them out. And mm-hmm. if they, I don't let them establish pecking order, but just get used to each other. Yeah. Um, and then after that, after like a week or so of that, then I put the brooders in the coop, covered still, so that they're used to where their home is. The big birds know that, you know, these guys are going to be here. And then after a couple days of that, not very long, then I take the lids off and let them go in and out. So they have shelter if they want. The big birds can't attack them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then during the day when the big birds are free-ranging, I close, I lock the babies in the run. So that they're used to their home and then, you know, that they can be separate from each other. And then at night, they all roost up together. Yeah, okay. So, so you say now you keep them from establishing a pecking order. How do you do that exactly? You just get on them when they start after each other? Or what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. your chicken, your older chickens, you're kind of like the alpha rooster. So <laughs> as soon as you start kind of pushing them away, they'll start to realize, you know, that you're going to protect them or that they're mm-hmm. your birds so that... If they mess with them, they're going to get you. So, yeah, I just, I just watch them and shoo them okay. away. And they're, okay. you know, they're usually happy to be free ranging, so they're going to go find some bugs. <laughs> right, right. Now, do you keep roosters and as well? Um, this is the first year I've had roosters. The first few roosters I had were really mean. They okay. were very mean, and I would go outside of my car and they would come attack me so we didn't do well with those and then um this year i had a rooster that i fell in love with as a chick because he got well i didn't know it was a rooster i fell in love with this chick that got sick and kind of nursed it back to health and then as he matured i saw that he was a rooster and so i made sure to always hold him and always you know, make sure that he knew that I was going to take care of him, but then he needed to be nice to me. Yeah. Um, and so he actually is a very nice rooster. And then I had two more roosters out of chicks, um, and I didn't have to do anything with them. So I don't know if they just saw that he was nice to me and he was the alpha rooster, so they just respected me. But, yeah, I have three roosters, and then I just um, – rehomed a fourth rooster right now <laughs> so really? i have four roosters okay well those others just heard about old soup and stewie that were attacking you and what happened to them so they didn't want to mess with that so they decided they better be <laughs> yeah. nice <laughs> yeah um well okay i was that's why i was wondering is how the roosters would do with the uh, when you're bringing out the new flock i mean they just taking them in is just it's just like the chickens are they just taking a little while to adapt and then they're fine or do they have do you have any of them going after the the uh, the new flock um they they are a little bit harder when I do introduce when I this last year when I introduced p- babies to the flock. Um, I have a lot of roosting bars in my coop. I have a really it's a it's an old farmhouse, so I have a small coop. Um, but I made like a ladder, so it has a bunch of roosting bars, and then I have roost, nesting boxes with roosting bars, and we have a rafters okay. that the chickens roost on. So I usually put the chicks the babies like on the ladder 
um, so they're away from all the other birds, and they kind of learn that that's where their safe haven is. Um, so if they start getting bothered, they climb up there, and the roosters, I've never seen the roosters go up there. Yeah. So the key really so is they, just a lot of hands-on, just watching them and just keeping things kind of, you know, kind of yeah, in order. Yeah, I mean, I've had, I, I've never had a rooster kill a bird before. I've had my, my ducks last year did. Um, so really? when I do, that's another thing is I have ducks in my coop too, two Pekin ducks, and mm-hmm. I have a kitty pool in the run. Um, so when I introduce chick babies to the flock, I, I dump the kitty pool out because that's how I lost the bird last year. It's just by drinking from the water and the duck just, just pushed her in and yeah, chickens wow. can't swim so <laughs> i learned my lesson that way now i just flip the kitty pool over for a few weeks until they start figuring out their way in the coop right wow okay so you do mix them together then so you don't have any other trouble uh, troubles with that uh having them together like that no they i don't No, i've never had any issues with the ducks i've always housed ducks and chickens together i know some people are against it but mm-hmm. i keep the i keep in the summertime i keep all the water in the run so the coop stays dry Mm-hmm. And then in the wintertime, um, I have buckets in the coop. And I find that the ducks, because they're always drinking, that they actually, I don't even heat the uh, chicken water. They, The ducks are constantly drinking, so they're keeping it from freezing on the top. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's keeping that water moving, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so, I mean, you get them adapted in, and, and then you just... Uh... How do you determine when um, when it's time to retire the old flock? I mean, you just watching for them to stop laying or slowing down their laying, and just kind of going that route, or uh, and constantly introducing new ones like that, or. Um, we actually, our chickens, since we don't heat our coop in the winter time, mm-hmm. we usually don't get eggs in the winter time. Yeah. Um, sometimes we'll get some here and there, uh, and a lot of times they're frozen, so you have to throw them anyway. Um, but since we don't heat our coop, we get. We've had chickens lay daily from spring to fall for five years. Okay. And so they end up dying before they stop, before yeah, they're, they're done just, laying. Sure, okay. Yeah, so, they don't have a super long lifespan. And chickens are allotted, you know, X amount of eggs per lifetime. So as long as sure. you're not forcing them to lay all the time, they can lay for quite a few years. Yeah, yeah. So you said something there, you don't heat your coop, and you're in Minnesota, and I have people all the time asking me that you know what do i need to do to, to heat my coop but i mean you're you're about where it's as cold as it gets and and you're not heating yeah. it and do you have any problems with that like i said with the smaller birds or one one year i had a frizzle chicken which all their feathers are flipped upside down mm. so they're it was she was a really cute pretty bird i didn't really think about that she couldn't probably hold in heat yeah. so i've had issues with that so i've kind of bought chickens i always make sure they're hardy i always make i don't buy bantams yeah. or anything um but other than that, no, I've never had issues yeah. this year because of the the cold, the polar vortex that we had. It got yeah. super cold, and a lot of the just the tips of the roosters' combs got got frozen, um, mm-hmm. and they'll probably fall off. But other than that, like I've never had any super huge issues. I um I usually block off the run with a wood board so that there's no draft there, sure. um, and then. You just want to make sure it's ventilated. We didn't build our coop, so I don't know. You know, I didn't. I don't know the logistics of it. It's our coop is, you know, probably close to 100 years old. So, oh. it uh, it's a little bit drafty more than you know a, a new one would be. But they, no, I've never had any issues. They just need to be protected from the wind mostly. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, that's always been my thing. I've always said, too, you know, as long as there's wind dr- directly blowing on them and, and uh, you know, there, there's some good ventilation in there, uh, then they should be fine, you know. And and mm-hmm. people are always a little bit shocked at that. They just really think that they, they need heat. And, um, you know, I, I, I have quail and rabbits, and I don't heat where they're at either, yeah. and they do just perfect through the winter. Of course, again, my winters aren't quite like your winters, but we're in Indiana, so it's it's pretty cold here. And, um, you know, yeah. I don't ever have any issues even with those those uh, livestock. So, yeah, I just uh, – it's something that – I think that the um, – if you've got the right setup, you don't need to bring in what I call an, a risk, a fire risk, because when you're heating a coop, it there's been a, there's been a lot of coops burned down uh, trying to heat them. Yeah. So. Yeah, that and if your lamp goes out, I've um because you're not your birds are used to hot hot climate. So when mm-hmm. the lamp goes out, I've heard that you can get them all sick, and I'm I don't really want to deal with that either. Right, I don't right, want to deal kinda. with the burnt down coop or sick chicks. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, I could definitely see that. Well, it sounds like you've got it pretty well figured out as far as uh, just inter- introducing new new birds to your flock and, and how you're doing things there. How many birds did you say you had? Um, We have four roosters and eight hens. Mm-hmm. And then um, I have four baby chicks this year. So we're kind of slowing down buying. I think we're going to be done buying, and hopefully we'll start hatching next year yeah, when we need yeah. to replace old ones. We can't leave those two two ducks out. We got a couple ducks there too, right? Oh yeah, two ducks too. <laughs> how many how many sheep do you have? Four. Four. Okay. So yep, you got, we have you two ewes, a ram, and a weather. Okay, you got a decent amount of animals there to take care of, and you have what ten acres? You said. Yeah. Yeah, ten acres. So yeah, okay. So you got all kinds of room for garden and orchard and all kinds of things. What do you have going on out through there? You, you said you got a, um, you have a decent sized garden, or? Yeah, I've been kind of slacking on the garden with the young kids when I was pregnant. It was mm-hmm. really hard for me to be out in the heat, and then with a newborn and stuff, it's hard for them to be out in the heat with right, me. Yeah, so yeah. last year was my first year really back in the garden again, which was nice. And then this year, um, I'm hoping to take a few acres, uh, probably about an acre of land and um, clear it off. I want to do um, like a lavender patch, a strawberry patch. That's a big um, garden. <laughs> I want to do more medicinal herbal type things and then okay. also do like uh, fruit. I want to do um, blueberries, strawberries, and raspberries too because my kids will they'll oh, probably yeah. eat more than I can. <laughs> oh, yeah. won't, those won't even make it in the house. They'll be out there. No, they those. don't. <laughs> they come out there with the garden meat with me and they just go right to the, right to the yeah. tomatoes and the fruit. So That's how my grandson was last year. He was in a strawberry patch eating them quicker than I could pick them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's that's all right. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think too. Um, now, so a lot of your property wooded then? Nope, we're actually really sandy. So okay. we have a uh, yeah, the whole back part of my yard um, is evergreens, and then we have a few. We have a lot of ash and oak, um, but we have a swamp at the back end of our property, and that's mm-hmm. where our birch and maple are. So I have to walk okay always to go tap. And That's then what I was wondering where just, you were tapping at if you didn't have a lot of wood as well. I was curious. Yeah, it's kind of far away, but it'll be all right. <laughs> we have a it's a it's a lot of sand and hills and stuff. So yeah, okay. So you got what's what's your what's your uh, future ambitions for for your property? What are you planning on doing in, the, in these uh, besides the, your herb garden, growing a lot more herbs and things? What else you got on the agenda? Um, I'm. I'm going to try to take it a little, like, year by year. So this year I really want to focus on the gardens, get the greenhouse mm-hmm. going, you know, do the the garden plots in the side of the house. And then I eventually would like to get bees. Um, mm-hmm. I really am interested in getting bees and honey and beeswax and all the things you can do with that. Um, and just really learning. I've learned, I've learned how to uh, forage some, you know, you just walk around my property and there's so many flowers. There's so many... Um, greens that you can just pick and dry and you can make tea out of or you can yeah. make like tinctures and stuff. So I've been really interested in doing some of that stuff too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So thinking about planting more kind of trees or anything what like I have that? And yeah. adding a little bit. What was that? You thinking about planting more trees, like some fruit trees or anything? Or? Yep. Um, I ordered 35 birch trees oh. to plant. Um, and then... I want to, I was trying to grow, you know, some fruit trees on my own, um, but I think that I'm better off buying, but I'll probably purchase, yeah, a few fruit fruit trees throughout the years, and then um, cranberry bushes and elderberry bushes. When you say starting on your own, you mean starting from seed? Is that what you were trying to do? Yeah, I was trying to do Yeah, that's difficult. What was that? I said, yeah, that can be pretty difficult with the stratification and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll probably keep trying to see if I can get it down, but fruit trees take a while to bear fruit, so if yeah, I end up right. buying some well, started trees and then practice my practice my talents later. How, how long does it take those birch trees before they're ready to, to tap? <laughs> it's probably a while, too. Um, <laughs> I think probably five to ten years. Oh, really? I'm I'll... buying um, – I'm buying – our Minnesota does con- uh, conservation districts, so each county you can buy, you know, two-foot trees. Mm-hmm. That are local to your area, um, for you know a dollar a tree. Oh yeah. And so, yeah. So I that's where I got my birch trees from. So they're going to be really small. They're not going to be any kind of size. So sure. they'll they'll take a while. Well, you can't beat that price though. I imagine. So yeah. No. That's a yeah. Good deal. That's, yeah. And maybe they won't even all take. But it, it doesn't right. hurt trying. It doesn't hurt putting them in the dirt and see what yeah. happens. 
Yeah. Well, it sounds like you got some big plans for your place there, and uh, you'll be uh, give you plenty to be blogging about over the next few years. It sounds like, uh, and you're just yeah. acquiring so many great skills. It sounds like you're really, you know, you're really focused on just skill building too, just the things you're doing in your kitchen, things you, you know, with the, the fermenting, and we didn't really even get into that yet. I mean, you're making kombucha, you, you know, uh, uh, what fermented lemonade and some other fermented uh, things. So you're doing a lot of fermenting too. You've been writing a lot of blog posts about that. So those are just yep. great skills to have, you know, and just you know, like you've even been mentioning on your blog you know just a lot of you know it, really focusing on the gut health and 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 that stuff it's just it's really really good for that yeah yeah and i, I think it's important to have i think that we lose a lot of nutrition in, in things that we buy even if you buy fermented food or i was blown away what got me into fermenting was when i was making pickles um this past year that pickles aren't even fermented anymore i had no idea yeah <laughs> so I, yeah dug down a huge rabbit hole of fermented pickles and then I <laughs> discovered this whole world of fermented food and I had actually been doing kombucha um which I knew it was fermenting and stuff and mm-hmm. but yeah I didn't realize everything that you could ferment and so it's really intrigued me and really interests me on on how many health benefits come along with that yeah and you're right we have gotten away from that now it's all just a quick process and get it out there and make it taste good and we just ignore the actual health benefits of our food it's just all about taste anymore and just trying to get you know it's trying to get a palatable product in front of you rather than a healthy product sometimes exactly exactly So, well, it sounds like you're doing a lot of great stuff there. And, 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 you know, we're just really looking forward to reading more about all the stuff you're doing. And, and, you know, I'm sure the listeners would be too. So let's point them to your blog. Where, where are you, uh, where are you sharing this stuff at? Um, my blog is thesheepshedmn.com. Um, and I have a website and a blog. So it has information about my, my farm and then I have my blog post on there. And then I also mm-hmm. have a Facebook page, which is the sheepshed MN. Okay. Um, so, right. yeah. We'll definitely point people towards all those uh, articles. Like I said, you've been writing some great stuff. I've been really enjoying reading it. And um, and you're also part of the Homestead Forum membership community. Uh, hopefully some folks can pop in there and, and talk to you, too, if they have any questions or want to know more about what you're doing. Yep. Okay. Well, we'll definitely link this up in there as well so they can uh, hit you up if they have any questions about the stuff you're doing. But it sounds like you got a lot of great plans, and I'm just really glad you came on to uh, to talk to me about them today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Well, that was a great interview with Alyssa. So much good information there. I definitely want you to go check out her blog. She's been just, she's been working hard on that blog. Let me tell you, writing all kinds of great articles and stuff. And uh, just, it, like I said, it, they're so good and there's so many of them that it definitely caught my eye. So definitely want to go check that out at thesheepshedmn.com. There'll be a link in the show notes for you if you want to go there to uh, connect uh, with Alyssa on her blog. And um, this is episode 117. So the show notes for this episode, of course, can be found at smalltownhomestead.com forward slash 117. So you can just go there to check out the show notes. So let's just jump right into our homestead recipe of the week. And today we have one called in from uh, Dusty. Dusty called this in from his car on his long commute to and from work. So there's a little bit of background noise, but uh, it's a great recipe for pan-smoked salmon. And uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't had lunch or dinner yet, uh, you're going to get really, really hungry. So I apologize because this sounds really good. (laughs) But uh, take it away, Dusty. Hi, this is Dusty from New Beginnings Farm on Maryland's eastern shore. Unfortunately, I have a two and a half hour commute home. I work outside of Washington, D.C. and live about 100 miles from work. The one recipe that my family loves is smoking a piece of salmon on your stove top. The equipment you'll need, of course, is we use an electric stove. If you use a gas stove, you might have to watch the flame. A stainless steel pan that you're no longer going to use for anything else but something like this. We have an old one that the handle fell off. And some aluminum foil. Your ingredients are... A fillet or two of salmon with the skin on, fresh ginger root, scallions, teriyaki, the sauce, not the marinade, or you can use soy, whole coriander, bay leaves, and that's it. So what you do, you take the aluminum foil and you make it into bowls. Usually I make about four bowls to fit in my 16 inch stainless steel pan. 
Then I will take the filet and I always wash it off, even though it's been sitting at the seafood market or at the grocery store in the ice. I still check to make sure if it has scales on, scale it. Then I will cut the salmon fillets big enough to fit inside the bowl. In each bowl will be a salmon filet, a splash of the teriyaki or soy, whatever you use on the filet, sliced scallions, and then I'll grate some pressed ginger on top. Inside the, the old pan, I put whole bay leaves, about five or six, whole coriander, just to dump some in, and then I coat the bottom with some more slices of scallion. I'll turn the pan on until you start seeing the scallion and bay leaves smoking, which is usually medium high. Once it starts smoking, cut it back to medium low, and then you place the salmon bowls in the foil on top of the smoking bay leaves, coriander, and scallions. Then I cover the whole pan with another sheet of aluminum foil and slightly leave one end open to allow smoke to escape. And on medium-low, sorry that was a bump, you just let it smoke for about 10, maybe 12 minutes. Open up the outer layer of aluminum foil and if you see the white fat and of course the salmon turns from a bright pink to a dull pink, depending on how rare or how fully cooked you want, the salmon will be done. And that's our favorite family recipe. Oh, that is a that sounds like a really good recipe. I'm definitely going to have to try that one because I, I like salmon, so that sounds like I'd be right up my alley. If you want to send in your favorite homestead recipe, and we do need more, I have one more for the next episode, and I don't have any after that, so I definitely need you folks to send in some more great recipes. I know you have them. Don't be shy. Send them in. But if you want to send in an audio recording of some of your favorite homestead recipes, I'd love to add one, one to the podcast each week. Uh, here's how you might do that. Uh, most cell phones usually have a recording app installed that you can use and just, you know, just hit the button, start talking, say this is so-and-so from if you have a website or a Facebook page or a homestead name, throw that in there. If not, you don't have to. And just say a recipe I like and want to share with you today is and then and just give us the recipe. And, you know, just try to keep that recording between one and five minutes. You know, you don't have to go into great, great detail, but uh, we'd love to have... We'd love to listen to it and then know how to do it ourselves. It doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, when you're done recording and satisfied with, with how it sounds, just email it to me at sthomestead at gmail.com, and I'll add it to a future episode. And again, if you have a website or a Facebook page or a homestead that you want to promote uh, with a link, I'll add that link into the show notes. Just give it to me with your email, and I'll add it to the show notes. But uh, that's all there is to it. Uh, we're looking forward to getting lots of great recipes in so I can add them to the podcast episode. Uh, let's jump into this week's listener question. Well, before we do that, though, I, I had a, an email about last week's uh, listener question where we talked about composting in the wintertime. And I got this email uh, from Rosie in the UK, and uh, she had some great suggestions on uh, how what she does with her uh, her food scraps in the wintertime before they go to the compost. And her email says, Hello, Harold. I listened to your last podcast about heating your home with wood burning and enjoy it. We have a wood burning stove, and I found the advice helpful. Uh, the listener question about composting in winter made me think about what I do to reduce the amount of stuff I'm taking outside in inclement weather. I put all my veg peelings, onion skins, herb trimmings, etc. in a big bag in the freezer. When it's full and the weather is better, I throw it in a big pot with boiling water and a little salt and cook it up as stock for an hour or so. I then freeze the stock and the peelings can go in my worm composter and tends to get broken down more quickly by the worms when it's cooked. And uh, she went on to say some other things, some suggestions for uh, some future podcast episodes and such. But I thought that was really good advice. It's something that we do around here. I don't save up too many at a time because I usually throw those uh, vegetables in with some, you know, maybe a, a chicken carcass or something like that and make a make a broth with it, make a vegetable and chicken broth together or stock and um, but that's great advice especially in the winter time you could save that up for several weeks and when it's really really bad outside you wouldn't have to take it to the uh, compost pile so that's a great uh, piece of advice and i agree it would would break down a lot quicker being softened up you know by the boiling water after it's been cooked 
So it would break down a lot quicker in a regular compost pile or a vermicompost pile. So great stuff, Rosie. Thank you for that. And uh, thank you for listening way over there in the UK. Appreciate that. I love getting emails from um, other parts of the world. It's, it's always encouraging. Um, but this week's question comes in from Stephanie. Uh, she asks, she says, uh, hi, Harold. I love your podcast. I'm starting my first garden this year, mostly due to your video of your backyard. I just to break away from the question for a minute here. I, I had posted a, a video of a little uh, tour of our homestead, uh, like almost a year ago. It was, well, it was actually last, uh, it was like late spring last year, kind of walked around and just showed some of the things we were doing. It's on YouTube. So you can go to our YouTube channel and find that. And uh, she goes on to say, I didn't realize what was possible until I watched your video. My yard is the same size. Thanks so much for the video. It totally opened my eyes to the possibilities. My question is about the Dirty Dozen. Uh, I have watched videos from Don Tolman and his Kabbalah Juice. Uh, He says that apples and most fruits are okay even if they are not organic if they are washed in an apple cider vinegar and water solution prior to using them. From what I understand, the skin of the apple is a barrier and keeps out pesticides. Just wondering if this is accurate. By the way, you should try his Kabbalah juice recipe. It's amazing. It's almost like an energy drink, but all natural and delicious. Thanks so much for your time. And effort in the podcast and videos. Well, thanks, Stephanie, for the question. Uh, I, I've never heard of Don Tolman or Kabbalah Juice, but it sounds good. <laughs> it really does. And I believe you, it's probably, I mean, I do, we do, I have a ninja that I make drinks with, and I think it works really good. And we, I'll do that. I'll throw, you know, a bunch of vegetables in it and maybe a little juice and uh, mix up a little uh, drink. And it's, it, it does good. Um, so I believe it probably is really, really good. And, and I make that quite a bit. Um, as far as the Dirty Dozen, now, if people don't know, the Dirty Dozen are a list of fruits and vegetables that if you're going to buy non-organic produce, that you should at least buy these vegetables and fruits in the organic uh, form because they tend to have more pesticide residue and bad stuff just attached to them uh, when they're uh, conventional fruits and vegetables rather than organic. Now, the issue here is that uh, Don Tolman, and like I said, I'm not really familiar with him. I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, uh, has said that apples and a lot of uh, vegetables are, and fruits are fine if they're just washed. And I'll just go ahead and tell you that apples in 2018 made the Dirty Dozen list. And there was some controversy over that because what mostly makes the Dirty Dozen list of those fruits and vegetables are porous skinned vegetables, things that easily absorb pesticides. Well, apples, as you've pointed out, uh, is a kind of a slick skinned, uh, thicker skinned fruit that doesn't tend to absorb things or it seemingly wouldn't absorb things like some other things like strawberries. Strawberries are notorious for it and they, and they're laid on pretty heavy with pesticides. Um, so they're really one that they advise to either grow yourself or buy in the organic, uh, form, but apples, there is some controversy about that. The, the actually the apple producing industry kind of came back against that dirty dozen list and pretty hard. And they said, look, we've had these studies done and there's very little residue getting into the apple. Now it is on the skin of the apple because the reason it made the list is because it is something they, they, they lay the pesticides on really, really heavy on on those apples. But uh, as you've pointed out, or as this, Don Tolman has pointed out that you can just wash a lot of that residue off with a with water and and an apple cider vinegar um, mix. Now I don't know. I'm not a scientist, of course, um, but uh, it does make sense to me that you would be able to wash a lot of that off. And like I said, it's not a porous skin, so it does seem like it wouldn't absorb as much of the uh, the the pesticides as some other things. And so obviously, washing uh, your fruits and vegetables no matter in what form they're coming in is a good idea. Um, and porous skin fruits and vegetables are going to absorb much more of the harmful chemicals. I have no doubts about that. Um, but here's the thing. I'm always going to kind of lean towards the safer side of things or the, you know, if there's any doubt in my mind at all, I'm going to lean towards organic or growing it myself. Um, just because of my past, you know, I've had cancer and, and I've been kind of, you know, I'm on high alert for things like pesticides and stuff. So I don't want, I want as little of that in my body as I can, I can get. And, uh, if there's a chance, if it's made the dirty dozen list, you know, I'm probably going to lean away from it. 
um, on the, on the conventional side of things. But now that being said, I, I believe what he's saying is probably true. I think you could probably get most of it off of there by washing it. And what's left uh, probably wouldn't be that harmful in small amounts. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to say that he's probably right. He's probably done a lot more research into that. Um, but definitely, as far as that dirty dozen list, there are certain things. Uh, look at the list. Anybody that's wanting to see the list, you can just type up the dirty dozen uh, list of uh, fruits and vegetables on Google or whatever, and you'll bring that right up. And it'll tell you, you'll, you get two lists. You'll get the list of the dirty dozen and you'll get the clean dozen generally on those lists. And those clean dozen are things that, you know, that you can say, Hey, I feel pretty good about buying these things, um, in the conventional form because the reality is organic fruits and vegetables are much more expensive than, uh, than the conventionally produced, uh, fruits and vegetables. So you can save some money by buying those clean ones. So that, that's my thoughts on it. I, I say he probably knows more about it than me. He probably is right that you can wash most of that off and uh, make it pretty safe to, uh, to make your drinks out of. So, um, you know, take his advice over mine, but if you're like me and you're, you know, and you're always wanting to lean on the, the safe side of things, I'm, I'm pretty big about you definitely washing my, my fruits and vegetables that I'm buying, uh, and soaking those things in water for, for a while before I, you know, uh, prepare them for a meal and uh, growing uh, the things that I'm eating a lot of, I try to grow myself. So that's just kind of where I lean on it. Uh, that does my thoughts and thank you so much for the email and, um, and the suggestion to take out the, to, to check out the Kabbalah juice recipe. I'll definitely check it out. It sounds really good. And, uh, for watching the video and, and being inspired to uh, to get started growing your own garden. I think that's great. Uh, it makes me feel good that uh, what I said and what I showed you in that video is uh, helping you to make the decision to uh, kind of get started going down that path yourself. So thanks for the question and the comments. Uh, if you want to submit a question for the podcast, you can send your questions to ask at smalltownhomestead.com. I'd love to have your questions. I, uh, I definitely want to start answering one a week on the podcast. I keep doing that. Uh, not going to a lot of detail on them, but I can do the quick answers. And uh, so I uh, really appreciate you sending those in. Uh, this podcast is made possible by those who join our Homestead Forum membership community. To learn more about the benefits of membership, you can just click on become a member at smalltownhomestead.com. I also appreciate those who shop through our Amazon uh, affiliate link. That's always a great way to support uh, this podcast and the things that we're doing. And we really appreciate those who share this podcast with others and uh, you know leave us reviews and, and stuff at iTunes and other places. And of course, always thankful for the companies and individuals who have partnered with us for advertising, sponsorship, and support through our membership. Uh, really appreciate that. It's what uh, makes things great about that membership, especially. We have a lot of folks that offer discounts to our members, to our membership. So we really appreciate those companies that do that. The show notes, again, for this episode can be found at smalltownhomestead.com forward slash 117. And uh, I'll just leave you with this quote from Alfred Austin. He says, the glory of gardening, hands in the dirt, head in the sun, heart with nature. To nurture a garden is to feed not just the body, but the soul. I agree with that 100%. Thanks for joining me today, folks. Happy homesteading and God bless. Thanks for listening. To see the show notes for this podcast or listen to other podcast episodes, go to smalltownhomestead.com. There you can also read our blog, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and take advantage of the many resources we make available to help you along in your homesteading journey. Please share this podcast and help us to carry out our mission of helping others to homestead today for a better tomorrow. Mm-hmm.